receive that, church? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, some, most of you don't know this, but, um, but I was in England this week, and we, had, we have a, a Zoom call uh, twice a month with the different leaders from live streams and the different pastors and leaders around the world. And this time we had a, a prophetic voice, somebody who just started to prophesy over us all. And it was just so in line with the word that just, just came. There, there was, there's, it was like, it was just, by the end, we were all kind of like, ah, I just feel really vulnerable. I just feel God is speaking. And uh, church, I, I don't really, I just going to kind of feel my way through. I know we're going to welcome some people in. Anyone being welcomed in today? Just put your hand up. Anyone else being welcomed in? Okay, great. Yes, great. We're going to welcome you in at the end. Is that okay? Hi, Velko. <laughs> this is going to be a funky morning. You just feel like everything's like, what's going on today? Where did everyone go? What's, what, what's, what's going on? <sighs> Can we all stand up? I just want you to just close your eyes for a moment. Thank you, Lord. Close your eyes for a moment. First Peter 1. But you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into the marvelous kingdom of light. You once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word. We thank you that this is your voice in print. We thank you that this is the only book we'll ever read where you, the author, are always present. And we thank you that you've taken us out of the domain of darkness and you've brought us into the marvelous kingdom of light. And we thank you that we could have been born at any other time in history, but you chose us for this time. You chose us for such a time as this, to be here on this planet in this hour, to make your name famous. We thank you that all creation is waiting with eager expectation for the sons of God, not the slaves, not the sinners, but the sons and the daughters of you, King Jesus, to be revealed. And I ask that you would shake us this morning. You would shake us, that you would provoke us to see something greater, that our, our, the, our eye gate would be lifted, that we would fix our eyes not on things, on earthly things, but on things above where you are seated, that we would see things from a different perspective. In Jesus' name, I ask you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can grab a seat, but just don't change. Can I just ask you to lean in a little bit? I, I want to talk about this kingdom that we're in, that we're in the kingdom, we're in his marvelous kingdom. We're not in the domain of darkness. And when we leave the domain of darkness, we leave the jurisdiction of the enemy and we're transferred because of the finished work of the cross into a marvelous kingdom. And under his kingship, there are new rules, and they're marvelous, and they bring us light. Amen? I'm going to just be interactive with you this morning. What things did we leave in the domain 
of darkness that did not come into the, with us into the marvelous kingdom of light. Come on, this is not rhetorical, let's go. We're no longer slaves, amen. Anybody else? I'm going to go somewhere with this today, and I, I believe God wants to say something. I'm not quite sure what it is, but he, he just wants to speak to us. He wants to provoke us. While you're thinking, I was with, this, the, with the leaders as we began to listen on this, on, this, uh, on this Zoom call, we started to be provoked. Do you ever feel like you have this divine dissatisfaction? You don't quite know what it is. It's just like you just feel unsettled, and it's like I can't, I can't just settle for this. There must be more. And that prophetic word we just received about that God is preparing our hearts. And that's why Mark Anderson's coming in. He's not just coming in just to, just to oh, let's just to talk about what God did on the other side of the world and how great it is. But he wants to come and equip God's people for works of service. That's what Ephesians 4 gifts do. They equip God's people for works of service, for works of service so that we can do the work. Not so that we can go, wow, look how an amazing minister they are. Look how anointed they are. But wow, I can't wait for them to leave so I can go and do what they've equipped us to do. And that's what Ephesians 4 ministries do. They make us say, wow, what an awesome God we serve. But there's a divine dissatisfaction that like God is trying to get our attention. There's something happening in the world. There's something happening. There's a stirring going on. There's a shift about to take place. There's an authority that God wants to rest. Birds have nests. Foxes have holes, Jesus says. But the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head. He wasn't talking about taking a nap. He was talking about resting his authority. Headship speaks of authority, but the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head. And I want to suggest to you that Jesus is looking for his body, his church, to rest his authority. But there's things that we have to adjust to get ready for a full, out, for a full expression of the glory of God being released on the earth. There's a call to arms. There's a, there's a call to, to, to pick up the word of God again and really start walking in a fresh obedience. I believe there's a time there's, that God is sifting out godless chatter. I was reading this morning and Paul is one of my favorite letters. The speakers in the Bible or is, is Paul writing to Timothy writing these letters from this Roman jail and he's writing words of instruction and he, one of the things he talks about godless chatter, if I get there today, I will. I want to talk about godless chatter. But this, this prophetic utterance, this prophetic voice, this is some of the things. You want to hear, is this good? It, it, one of them was this. The Lord is saying right now that the people around the world are saying, when are things going back to normal? But God says... Things are not going to go back to normal because if you go back to normal, you'll go back to sleep. So this isn't a time for the church to go back to normal. When are things going to go back to normal? God doesn't want things to go back to normal because he doesn't want his church to go back to sleep. Awake, awake, O Zion, come clothe yourself with strength. It's a time for the church to, to grow up, to throw off immaturity. The bride has made herself ready. The spirit and the bride together will say, come, Lord Jesus. That's amazing to think about that. Uh, last week, I think it was, I said that I'm going to start a series called Healthy Church. And so this is just the introduction today. 
But, but I believe there's a shift taking on where there's a, there's a, and I feel it, I feel it. By the end of this, this Zoom call, a number of us just want you to get up, crawl under a rock and repent. Like, but you know, repentance means to change your mind. It's not to grovel. We can come boldly before his throne of grace to receive mercy in our time of need. But it's to say, God, here I am, change me. Your repentance is something, is so basic, but something that we don't often follow and live in a life of repentance. Oh, but in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, in, I think it's the NLT, it says, God is not slow in keeping his promises as some consider slowness. No, he's being patient for our sake, giving everybody time to repent. God is not slow in keeping his promises to come back again. He's actually giving time for people to repent, to turn away and turn to him. This person talked about the sounding of a gong, a, a, a gunfire, a gun going off, a starting gun, which happened 20 years at 9-11 when the, when, the, when the towers fell. And they talked about a gong that was sounded across the earth, a, gu a gunshot that was fired, that the, that the fall of Islam had begun. But you know, church, there is still a call for his people, the ecclesia, to wake up, to stand up. And as this word went on, it became more and more pointed. Uh, we need to change that we need to change in our attitude, change in our in, in where, in immaturities that we need to get rid of them. Gossip and slander and silliness and immaturities and reminding us that we were taken from a domain into the, of darkness into the marvelous kingdom of light, that when we came into the kingdom, we gave up our rights. We came into a new kingdom. Well, I want this, and I'm not being recognized, and this isn't happening, and that's not happening, and, and just pettiness and silliness, but realizing that we're actually dead to ourselves. It's exciting times to be alive. This is it. We're all God's got. We're the best God's got. There's no cavalry coming. But leaders, this was a, a strong Strong word to leaders to stop falling into the same enemy of the enemy's traps time and time again, but to move on. That God's saying, I want to do new miracles. I want to do new miracles. That it's time to prepare my people for war. It's time to prepare my people for battle. As we go into this new year, we're going to talk about being a people prepared. We're going to talk about being battle ready. They really, really know how to use the weapons of our warfare to really know what it means for the bride to make herself ready. What it means for a body that is fitly joined together, functioning under the direction of the head looks like. What does it look like to have a house built, not with brick and mortar, but with living stones where God can make his presence? What does that look like? What does it mean to be an army? What does it mean to get prepared to really get ready? In every sphere of life, that in, in Isaiah 2, it says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord will be the chief mountain, and the world will come to Zion and say, Teach us your ways. Then what is it about the church? What is it about Zion that the world is actually going to stream to us and say, Will you teach us your ways, people of God? That means we've got to get, get some stuff together. We've got to sort some stuff out. We've got to grow up from some silliness. We've got, to, we've got to get rid of some immaturities. Hebrews chapter 5 says, you should be teachers by now, but you still need milk. 
I'm not talking to us. I'm talking to our friends who aren't here today. But it's to provoke us. But challenge us. It should hurt a little bit. What does, what does the church that Jesus died for, what should she look like right now? Good question. Awake and alive. God said this, I want to do miracles. I want to do new miracles. I want to do something new. And by the way, I don't think that's just the way we have meetings. Like, we should get rid of all the chairs. It's like, I don't think that's what God's talking about when he wants to do something new. It's something so in the spirit that actually changes us. You know, I think there's a unity that's happening in the body of Christ. There's a coming together. There's a sifting through. We've got to make some choices coming and going ahead. Whether we really want to serve him or not. He's a jealous God. The word went on. Get ready for there are changes ahead. Get ready because there's greater miracles ahead. Get ready because there's also disasters ahead. But darkness doesn't overcome darkness. Lightness, light overcomes darkness. If you want to overcome darkness, turn on the light. Darkness will not overcome darkness. And in the end, one of the words I wrote down was, go ahead, Satan, do your best. We win. The church wins. You will be defeated. But the enemy is a schemer. I don't really like talking about the enemy and his silly schemes. I like to talk about Jesus. But are you okay if today, just for the short time we've got, I start to just throw some principles out. Some principles that we can really grasp a hold of. And we're going to take our time because we're going to stay on this as we go into what does a healthy church look like? That we don't just have services. You know, we're not really biblically, we don't go to church. Biblically, we are the church. Biblically, we've never been to church in our life. Biblically, we don't go to a service. We're actually equipped for service. This is not a service. This is the gathering of the saints. It's when the ecclesia come. It's, actually, it's, it's, it's a time for believers to come together to hear the prophetic word of God like we just did. To be strengthened and encouraged. To be sharpened by the word. To be fellowship with one another so that we can go out. Amen. Are you with me? Could you stay with me for a little bit? I, I won't keep us long this morning. I just, uh, I, um, here we go. Okay. Ready? I think, I think this is where I was going. Go. All right, all right. So his two things, his one thing, first of all, that's really important that I believe God is putting his, it just is honing in on, in on his church, and that's character. Will you say that with me? Character. Character. Character, all will be in crisis. Will you say that with me? All will be in crisis. So if you have good character, that's good. If you don't have good character, it will end in crisis. And throughout Scripture, when you see people, if they, when God has got his finger on someone's life in, in a character in the Bible, and they don't yield and don't change, in the end, it ends in crisis. And each one of us here could probably recount the amount of times that we've seen people that have anointing, people that have gifting, people that have calling, but because of character... It ends in crisis. You can write this down. Our giftings and our callings will open doors, but our character and our attitude will close them. 
Our gifting and our callings will open doors, but our character and our attitude will close them. God is not impressed by your gift. That's why it's called a gift. He's not like, oh my gosh, that's amazing that you have that gift. It's a gift. It was free from him. You can write this down. Our gifting says nothing about a person, only the grace of God. And I'm saying this because one of the things I've noticed over the years is when we overemphasize and celebrate someone's gift over the giver of the gift, when they fall, we fall. And I think that this is something not only in character do we need to realize, but also the crisis that it causes when someone who has bad character but great gift falls. And we celebrate them and put them on a pedestal. So we're like, oh my gosh, you're so amazing. And they fall and then we fall. But perhaps one of the things that the church needs to grow in is not over celebrating the gift, but the giver of the gift. See, the wine is always good, even if the wineskin fails. Who's the wine? Jesus. It's the revelation of Jesus. The wineskin changes. But when the wine, but if we can honor and cherish the good wine and say, that was good. That was a prophetic word, but the person that gave it to me fell. doesn't matter. The wine was good. And if we'll mature in that area like, yeah, but the wine was good. Gifting says nothing about a person, only the grace of God. And if we'll really get this, then we'll, then we'll stop over-celebrating people with gifting. It's, and if you really look at it, this is, this is, I'm being funny, but it's like running after the mailman or the UPS guy or the Amazon guy or the postman and saying, dude, you're so awesome. Look at you with all your gifts and packages. Dude, thank you so much. You're amazing. You'd be like, dude, it's, I, what? No, I'm just the give. I just, what? No, I'm just the delivery person. But when we overemphasize that, problems begin to happen. Moses had an anger problem. He did. He was brought up in two worlds. In the palace, but he wasn't really from the palace. And do you remember in anger, he killed the Egyptian and then he fled to Midian for 40 years. And God starts to speak to him. And God starts to use him. And he says, sends him back to where he came from. And you know the story. But this, this problem with anger never left Joseph. Sorry, never left Moses. God spoke, told him to speak to the rock, but he struck the rock in anger. And in the end, God says, you're not going in. Micro decisions have macro consequences. And God is, I believe right now, focusing on us as a church. And by the church, I don't just mean us here. I mean the church worldwide to say, come on, church, let's start dealing with some of this little stuff. Let's start dealing with these attitudes. Let's start dealing with, with character issues because if we don't, they'll end in crisis. And the enemy is a schemer. Don't be ignorant of his schemes and so often he'll wait until character and flaws in character reaches the maximum point of fallout. Then he'll pull the rug so that the collapse is great. And I see it happen in families. Children walking away with, from, from the Lord because of, because of things that they say in their families. Churches falling apart. Ministries falling apart. People getting discouraged and, and disappointed by these things. Why? Because the enemy's a schema and he'll wait till the fallout is the greatest. 
We looked at this recently in 1 Samuel chapter 16, that, the outwardly, that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. But man looks at the outward appearance. So the outward appearance does matter because we're trying to win a world and the world is looking at the outward appearance. So character is so important. In fact, Judah read it earlier from 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 about adding to our character. Adding to our character. Add to your character. You can read that. But when we have in, if we don't add to our character and watch our character, it will end in crisis. Proverbs 16, verse 32. This is David. He says, better for a man to rule his spirit than he who takes a city. That's powerful, isn't it? God is saying, I'd rather you deal with your character than take a whole city from me. But I did all these things for you, God. I'm, I would rather you deal with your character. I'd rather you deal, learn to rule and deal with you than do great things for me. Because I'll come back when you have made yourself ready. God is really patient. He's, being, he's, wait, he's waiting patiently for his church. But Peter says this, we can actually hasten the day of his return. We can actually hurry it along. But we need to get healthy. We need to learn to deal with stuff. Stuff. BS. Belief system. Blind spots. You know the funny thing about blind spots is they're blind spots. I was driving down the highway a few months ago and, and I, I clipped some, well, I clipped somebody's ring wear, uh, mirror because they were in my blind spot. And the funny thing about blind spots is they are blind spots and you can't see them. So when someone points them out to you and you say, I can't see it, like, duh, it's because it's in your blind spot. You know what? The bigger the vehicle, the bigger the blind spot. The bigger the personality, the bigger the blind spot. The bigger the gift, the bigger the blind spot. And this is why we need one another to, to actually see each other's blind spots and say, hey, can I just tell you, brother, can I tell you, sister, lovingly, and we're going to talk about this, how we have biblical conf confrontation. How do we communicate well? And sometimes I'm, 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 I'm shocked at the, at, at the ability that people have to communicate. Is this too strong? No. Like, we just need to get really good at communicating. But if we're not good at communicating, not that we get steamrolled by somebody who's really good at communicating, and you just feel like, I feel intimidated, I don't have a chance anyway, so I'm just even get worse at communicating. The Bible has a prescribed way of sorting that out. But we need to know what the Word of God says. So, but to communicate well, you can be a great communicator and a terrible leader, but you can't be a great leader unless you're a great communicator. I've just been in the UK, and the number one reason I went was to help tidy up situation which pr primarily was caused by bad communication. We need, I believe that the church should be really good at communicating. But that's just me, so. Uh, mm. Thank you, Velcro. 
There's so much here. Um, I'm just trying to wade myself, wade through this, and I don't want to go too fast, but we need to get good at communicating. We need to realize that when we have blind spots and allow one another to help us with those blind spots. All right, I'm going to move on. Um, so character crisis. Number two, confront, confront. Have we got that next one up there, son? Confront, not control. So it's important that we learn to confront one another with really good confrontation skills. The Bible talks, does anyone think of one scripture the Bible talks about how to confront someone? You're in the right class today then. Matthew, Matthew 18. Okay, anyone think of another one? Let me just throw some of these out. Matthew 18, Jesus says this. If your brother wrongs you, go to him, just the two of you. Everyone say two. If he hears you, you won your brother. There's the key. To win your brother, not the argument. You can write that down. In confrontation, the purpose, the goal is to win the person and not the argument. And that shows the heart of Jesus through it. I actually, do you want relationship or do you want to be right? And if you want relationship, rather than being right, then you will win your brother. And that's the win, not the argument. If he doesn't hear you, Jesus says, take someone else in, along with you. If he still doesn't hear you, take it before the church, which is the elders, the leaders of the church. Don't tell the whole church, the church of 10,000 people. It's like, everybody, we need to got an announcement to make today. Can you hear me at the back? He said this, the she said, and he said, and he, no, that's not what it means. It's like, if you can't resolve it, go to the gates of the church. Elders, one of the things they did in Bible times is they would sit at the gates. They would watch what came in. They would watch what come out, came out of the city, and they would settle disputes. It's a wonderful thing, the way God has prescribed his church to be. But it's, it's important that we learn to confront. David was one of the greatest leaders, in my opinion, that Israel had. But one of the areas he failed in is he failed to confront well. And this is what David did. And you may have heard me talk about this before. David turned his friends into enemies in order to confront them. Never turn your friends into enemies in order to confront them. And one of the things that we do, if without knowing it, is we demonize people so that we have feel like we can justify confronting them. But it's not right. It's actually passive-aggressive. Passive-aggressive is being compliant on the outside but defiant on the inside. It's like, yeah, oh, no, 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 everything's fine. No, it isn't. You're being compliant on the outside, but you're being defiant on the inside. And then because we don't really know, it's like people using the F-bomb or swear words. Often it's just they don't have the vocabulary to really express what they're really feeling. And they're feeling the passion with so much, they just start dropping certain words. Rather than finding a healthy language to communicate and articulate exactly what they're really feeling. And so David, to never change, okay, so David turned enemies, his friends into enemies in order to confront them. You can write this down. You will never change that which you are not willing to confront. You will never change that which you're not willing to confront. His character, see, honesty is the ability to not lie to someone else. But maturity is the inability to not lie to yourself. 
And so when we grow in maturity, it's like, I can't lie to me. I can't lie to myself. And I, am I willing to allow myself to be confronted? Will I allow someone else to confront me? How do I do? This is just introduction today. We're not going to get into this too deep. But, and we've got Mark Anderson next week. But I, I, I sense it just in God. Like, church, come on. Let's, let's get better at some of these basic things. Because God is wanting to get us to get ready. And you know, I, I meet people all over the place just offended with God, offended with people, offended with church, offended with this situation, offended with that. And it's just, it's, it's a, I think it's a mockery in the body of Christ. The enemy like this, one again, one again, winning. It's like you're not winning. But the, we as a church, we need to get better. A healthy confrontation, healthy communication. In a way that is not controlling. Matthew, so Matthew 18 says, if your brother wrongs you, go to him. Everyone say, go to him. Matthew 5 says, if you know your brother has something against you, go to him. So the onus, any refinery students here, the onus, the responsibility, is upon us to go and sort it out. If you know your brother has something against you, hey, by the way, I think someone else, that person's offended with you. Really? Oh, well, why didn't they come to me? I don't know. But now I have a responsibility to go to them. Because Matthew 5 says, if you know that Jesus says, if you know your brother has something against you, go to him. If your brother wrongs you, go to him. So either way, it's on you. Go to your brother. Go to your sister. There's no way out. The Bible says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. And you know, this is a great thing. It's like, if, you can't, if your brother doesn't hear you and you don't feel heard, I'm not necessarily talking about sin, but as a principle, go to your brother. But in Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, and you know, if we do the word, it just really clears stuff up. If we just do it. Everyone say, do the word. James says this, if you hear the word but you don't do the word, you deceive yourself. I'm going to give an opportunity just to pray in a moment. Because like Mel talked about the chiropractor last week, I think when we get adjusted by the word of God, it releases something. But watch this, let's just slow this down. If you hear the word, right, you hear the word, but you don't do the word, you deceive yourself. Just stop right there, right? Church, just stop. Sila. You deceive yourself. How? Because you think that you've done it, but you haven't. You just heard it, but you didn't do it. And there's the deception. It doesn't work. No, it does work. The Word of God always works. We used to tell our children when they were growing up, use the name of Jesus. Like, but what if it doesn't work? It will. Yeah, but what if it doesn't? It will. But what if it doesn't? It will. It does work. It's alive. It's living. It's active. The word of God really works. Resist the devil and he will flee. But if you hear the word but you don't do the word, you deceive yourself. And the deception is, I heard the word today, but I didn't do anything about it. And now I'm confused and now I'm deceived. But deception comes from not doing it. So if your brother wrongs you, go to him. If you know your brother has something against you, go to him. If he doesn't hear you, bring someone else. Get it sorted out so there's peace with nothing but a heart to win your brother or your sister. And if the heart is to be right, you've missed the point. I know I've shared this many times, but the Lord said to me one time, I said, Lord, I'm right. You know I'm right. 
And the Lord said, if you exercise, son, your right to be right, you'll be wrong. He never even told me that I was right. Could you just confirm that bit? It would just help me. No. If you exercise your right to be right, you'll be wrong. Because you're just into being right. So, control. Here's just some principles, ready? I just live by these things, right? Always leave people with their dignity intact. If you're confronting someone, always leave people with their dignity intact. I'll say again, do you want to win the person or do you want to win the argument? What's more important, being right or having a relationship? God said, okay, ask yourself, could I be wrong? And could I have a blind spot? It's impossible. I don't know if any of you guys do life languages or Enneagram or Strength Finder, but I have a, I've read a book recently called uh, Road Back to You. And this was helpful to people with my personality type. Ask yourself, could you be wrong? And then ask yourself again, could you possibly be wrong? Ask yourself a hundred times today, could you possibly be wrong? Ask people, not just the people who will agree with you, but ask people who will speak to you the truth and say, am I wrong? Could this be me? Okay. You don't know what you don't know. Hello. Here's another one. These are just principles I've learned to live by, right? Never mistake rebellion for immaturity. There's been times in my life where I thought, that's just rebellion. But actually, it turned out they just didn't know any better. Because you don't know what you don't know. So you deal with things like it's rebellion, but actually it's just an immaturity because the person never knew that. So maybe we need to do better at teaching. So our expectations are managed rather than getting mad when things don't happen the way that we think they should. Watch this. Matthew 18, Jesus says, if your brother wrongs you, go to him. Just the two of you. Everyone say, just the two of you. I'm nearly done. Jesus would be a hypocrite if he didn't do that to us. I promise you, whenever somebody else comes and challenges you on an area of your life, I promise you the Holy Spirit already talked to you, just you and him. He already, convinced, he already convicted you of your sin, of your attitude, of your thought pattern, said you need to change. But if we don't change, he'll always bring someone else, not to embarrass us, but because he loves us. Isn't that kindness of God? So, disobedience always ends in deception. If you hear the word, but you don't do the word, you deceive yourself. Disobedience it goes, always ends in deception. Watch this. Deception ends in delusion, and delusion opens the door to the demonic. But it starts, if you wind it all the way back to disobedience. What's disobedience? It's not doing God's word. It's not being obedient to God's word. Can I just ask you, don't think about someone else right now. Just think about yourself right now. and think, are there things in my life where I know the Holy Spirit's been speaking to me and I haven't responded? 
And first ask yourself, could that be where there's a deception, where there's the cyclical pattern of, I just don't feel like it works. And this is where the enemy gets in, and there's this kind of delusion that happens, and this confusion, and I'm just, I feel apathy, and I just feel, I just feel a bit confused in what's happening, and God is looking for people who will shop, shape up. We have the mind of Christ. He's not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love of us and of a sound mind. And I believe this is an hour where the church needs to think like God. We have the mind of Christ to be awake, fully awake, fully alert, fully alive. Okay. Oh, you want something? Come on up. He's going to do an interpretive dance now. Yeah, yeah, go, go. Where's, it, where's the mic? Oh, there it is. Yeah, yeah. Does he look like me? Everyone's like, you're all like really confused, aren't you? Like, wait, what just happened? I'm just going to read the scripture. He's not an angel, I promise you. Just, I'm going to read a quick script. <laughs> okay, Galatians 5, Passion Translation. When you are brought into the full freedom of the spirit of grace, you will no longer be living under the dominion of the law but soaring above it the cravings of the self-life are obvious sexual immorality lustful thoughts pornography chasing after things instead of god manipulating others hatred of those who get in your way senseless arguments resentment when others are favored temper tantrums angry angry quarrels only thinking of yourself being in love with your own opinions being envious of the blessings of others, murder, uncontrolled addictions, wild parties, and all other similar behavior. Haven't I already warned you that those who are, use their freedom for these things will not inherit the kingdom realm of God? But the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all its varied expressions, joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patient Patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart, and strength of spirit. That's the word of the Lord. It's sharp. It's the, actually the God's voice in print. This is the weapons that we have, that God has given us to fight with. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And I've talked about this a lot, and I'm going to go there again, but how the enemy right, want, right now is wanting to disarm the people of God by how, trying to get us to put down our swords because the Word of God is now being challenged. It's just a cyclical argument. But Galatians 5, that we just read, Paul says, the Spirit and the flesh are in conflict with one another. Watch this. So we do not do what we want. There's a conflict between the spirit and the flesh so that we don't do what we want. What you feed grows. What we starve dies. We can starve the things of the flesh. We're born of the spirit. We're born of an incorruptible seed. I'm not talking about, we, I'm not talking about um, we have two natures. We don't have a dual nature. The old nature is gone. It's dead. It was buried once and for all. 
can't feed something that's dead and buried. We are born from above, the Bible says, of an incorruptible seed. It's incorruptible. It's the real us. It's the spirit man. But we can choose here if we sow to our spirit or we sow to our body, our flesh. And they're in conflict with one another so that we don't do what we want. But if we sow to the flesh, we reap death. If we sow to the spirit, it reaps life. And that's what, what Jonathan just read. And the fruit of the spirit and the, and the acts of the flesh are obvious. And he just read the acts of the flesh. But the fruit of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, gentleness. <laughs> So church, I'm going to park here. I'm gonna, I, time's gone. We only got through two today. But I, I, I just want us to know, we're going to stay on this and watch what happens. Watch what happens. The church, God will start to adjust us. And I believe there'll be such an outpouring of his glory and his goodness because he's looking for a people who are ready, whose hearts are fully devoted towards him. And so I'm going to ask us to stand in the moment. Musicians, if you can come on, I'm going to keep us a couple more minutes. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to ask us to just, just to do business with God. I'm not going to have anyone come forward, but just, but just say, God, here am I. Like, adjust me by your word. And, it, and, and here's, the, here's one word. It's the word that we don't like very much. It's the word repentance, which just means to change your mind. Listen, let the circle of confession be as wide as the circle of offense. If you've done wrong, who did you wrong? If it's like having a, 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 a tray full of paint and you trip and you fall and the paint goes everywhere. You have a responsibility to clear up the paint and where it's been spilled. If it only hit, affected one person, just go and put it right with that person. It affected more people. Go and put it right. But here's the key. If we don't, that's where deception comes. And we just start doing laps, the cyclical kind of thing of just, but just God doesn't want to embarrass us. He just loves us. He wants us free. He wants us clean. I've had this in my life this week in England. I had to go somewhere and say, I said, I feel so ashamed of the way I've acted. And I'm asking for your forgiveness. Oh, it doesn't matter, Dan. We understand. No, it does matter to me because I was wrong. I was wrong. And I'm asking, will you please forgive me for the way you experienced me? You deserve a better leader. You deserve more, better attitude than that. And the way I came across was wrong. I have a responsibility to be an example and I was a poor one and I'm asking for your forgiveness. Here's the wonderful thing about repentance. When you get forgiven, Acts says, times of refreshing will come to you. And so, do you know what? I think God just wants us to be refreshed when we leave here. Not with condemnation. Not with feeling, with conviction. Yes, but just to put it right. Say, Jesus, will you forgive me? And he says, I totally do. Because 1 John 1, 9 says, if, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us for all unrighteousness. Amen. Let's all stand together, can we? Let's just stand in his presence. Just close your eyes. Just put your hands up. When we put our hands out like this, 
or we put them up every nation every tribe on earth recognizes that hands up is a sign of surrender wherever you go in the world you put your hands up you're saying I surrender when we put our hands up we're saying I surrender and just say Jesus here I am it's just me and you Jesus I want to ask for your forgiveness for this area in my life just start talking to him just you and Jesus he sees it all he knows anyway confess our sin he is faithful and he is just to forgive us for all unrighteousness some of you remember the story of the duck and no I'm not going to tell it now but some of you (laughs) some of you need to say shove off I don't have to remember the duck after the day because he was watching from the window the entire time and he's already forgiven me and I'm not going to be a slave to Susie because it was for freedom that Christ set us free and therefore I'm not going to let myself be a burden and a slave to sin again. Some of you need to forgive yourself. I'm like, I am not going to carry this yoke of slavery. I am not a slave. I am a son. So, Father, thank you for your, for your forgiveness. Thank you that you're an amazing Father. That when we come to you, you say, I totally forgive you. And as far as the east is from the west, I have removed your sins from you and I remember them no more. And church, if you've just, you've got, you feel like a chiropractor, the word of God has adjusted you today. The reason he does it is for our benefit, for our good. His motive is good that we can live and move and have our being, that we can function properly. I want to ask you to do one more thing though, not not necessarily right now, but go to people that you've wronged and put it right. Let the circle of confession be as wide as the circle of offense. I'm not going to talk, necessarily talk about in this church, although it needs to start with our own families. Start in this house. Let God, let God be the father of this house. He will sift things out because he's, he's a jealous God and he's jealous for his people and he's jealous for a house that is holy and he's jealous for a house that is, that is glorious. And church, you mark my words, I promise you this. His glory is coming to this house. His nature is coming to this house. A revival of fire is coming to this house. A people of honor, a people of power, a people of praise. We are a part of what God is doing across this earth. A people made ready, a people prepared, a people alive. So Lord, I just bless your church today. I bless everybody in this room. We speak healing to bodies. We speak healing. We speak health. We speak life. To everyone here in Jesus' name. And everybody said...
Amen. Church, have an amazing day. May the Holy Spirit disturb you greatly.